I'll be starting reading in verse 15. And we'll finish up chapter 7 this week. I'm not going to talk about baptism today. Sometimes I do a baptism sermon when there's having baptism. But this section of Scripture is pretty pointed about obedience. And so obedience, baptism is the first step of obedience to follow Christ. But let's look at verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by the fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them or acts on them, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain descended, the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The Lord will add blessing to his word. This is a final wrap-up of the Sermon on the Mount. Five, six, and seven, the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters of Matthew. And in this last section, Jesus indicates the importance of hearing and obeying God's word. And he warns of those who would teach otherwise. And make a good showing of outward profession, but not have the fruit of the Spirit. He starts with a warning against false teachers and prophets. And these are the people who are leading other people astray. This kind goes along with last week we talked about judging. How people say, judge not, lest you be judged. And we, we went into that section and showed you that's not exactly what that means. As far as us judging who we will and won't fellowship with. A naive Christian, an untaught Christian, or a non-Christian can, complete, can be fooled by these people because they can speak with really high-sounding words and impress you. But Jesus says you can recognize them by their fruit, their fruits. What does he mean? If a person comes into your congregation, our congregation, claiming to be some prophet or teacher or whatever, or you see the guy on television, which we do, all the time. And say, the Lord told me. 
If the Lord tells you anything other than this, that ain't the Lord. Right? Thanks. False prophets. Whoever said that, you're right. So, what does he mean? Well, they have to be tested. You know, we just don't let anybody get up here and preach, and we don't just let anybody teach home teams or Sunday school. They're tested. People are tested. We test their faith. We test their fruit. We test where they are coming from biblically. The life of a prophet can be clearly seen as they live out their profession. And when he use the word prophet here, I'm not talking about somebody that, that tells the future. I'm talking about that somebody that proclaims the truth. That's what prophecy is. Now, in the Old Testament and in the New, they may have proclaimed the truth about the people they were working with or proclaimed the truth about the future, but they were proclaiming truth. I think that this is the end of all revelation right here. I don't believe that anybody's going to get up and give us any more revelation. And if they get up and give a revelation that's contrary to this book, they are false. And they may look good. They may do good works. But the problem is, they, the way they live their lives and the way they influence other people. If they're influencing other people to deliberately disobey God's Word, they're false. And the other problem with this is that he says you don't gather grapes from thorn bushes, do you? You don't gather figs from thistles. The issue is, is it a good tree? Or a bad tree. And really the word bad here means diseased. Sin is a disease. A healthy tree bears good fruit. A diseased tree does not. No bad fruit can come from a healthy tree. No good fruit can come from a good tree. It's just that simple. Metaphorically, though, Jesus is indicating something about this tree. He says every every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And it's metaphorically speaking of people who claim to know Jesus or don't care about him at all. And they're a bad tree. Oh, they may be good husbands. They might be a good wife in the world's sense and the world's judgment. But if they're teaching or living in a way that's contrary to God's word, they're just a diseased tree. And they're good for nothing, he says. And it really just simply means here that those people are headed for hell. Listen to John the Baptist. He preached the same thing when people started coming to him to be baptized back in Matthew 3, 7 through 10. Listen to what he says. He saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. These were really religious people. People would look at them and say, oh, aren't they wonderful? They're so religious. And John the Baptist saw them coming, and he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He called those people a brood of vipers. Jesus called them the same thing back over in, in, in Matthew 23. Called them a brood. Now, has your pastor ever called you a brood of vipers? Have we? Have any of the pastors here ever called you a brood of vipers? We might have thought it. <laughs> but we've never said it out loud. Okay. And we wouldn't, of course. But... Listen to what he says. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, he uses a word here that is very rarely used in Christian churches in America today. 
repentance. You see, we want to have a simple little gospel where we can shuffle people in the back door of heaven and say, you know, if you just ask Jesus in your heart, you're ready to go. And then they come into my office for counseling, can't figure out why they can't live a Christian life. And I say to them, maybe you're not really saved. (gasps) My mother told me I was saved when I was four years old. I don't care what your mother told you. If the Holy Spirit hasn't told you you are, you're not. And He tells you, as you read His Word, He tells you, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. Really, Lord? This is for you. <laughs> John was the first one. Listen to what he says. I don't, he says, don't presume to say to yourselves, you people, we have Abraham for our father. I tell you, God's able to make stones as children of Abraham. But even now, he says, the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, what did John mean about that? Axe is laid to the root of the tree. What do you mean about that? Well, the problem is something we have inside of us that we inherited as a root from Adam. Come on in. If you can stand to sit through my sermon twice, come on in. They're here to see the baptism. Here's what he meant. Adam was created perfectly in the image of God, and he was supposed to be in that image, and the children he had were also supposed to be in that image. And if you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you hear God talking about things that were created and reproduced after their own kind. In other words, a strawberry tree did not produce peaches. It produced strawberries, and the seed in there produced more strawberries, and then more strawberries after their own kind. problem is this. The same thing is true of humans. We produce after our own kind. And before Adam sinned, everything he would have produced would have been holy like him. But when he sinned, sin entered, and now he's producing a different kind. Every one of us are born into Adam. Every one of us are born into that root. And every one of us have that root in us, and it, will, it cannot produce anything of God. It can pretend to, but it does not. And he says, when Jesus died, God laid the axe to the root. Not just to the tree with a leaving a stump. He laid it to the root. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus died on the cross... God took all the sins of everybody, past, present, future, and laid them on His own Son, made Him bear what you deserve, what I deserve for rebelling against God, or just ignoring Him. That's rebellion in a different form. And in that process, He looked at Jesus as if Adam and all the rest of us were right in Him. And He laid the axe to it. He cut him off from the land of the living and fully satisfied all payment of sin on him. Now that's good. Yeah, who who said it? Praise the Lord. Say it a little bit louder. Thank Thank you, Lord. 
You know, when we talk to people about good news, they go, well, you do Baptist, all you got is bad news. What do you mean? Well, don't do this and don't do that. We don't live that way. We're just a bunch of people in here trying to tell one beggar to tell another beggar where to find food. That's all we are. We're all sinners in here. You know, people have said to me, oh, there's too many hypocrites up there. I said, well, come on, be a part of them. Because you're right. You see, a hypocrite standing between you and Jesus, the hypocrite's closer to Jesus than you are. Amen? So Jesus gave us, by taking all that on, dying and, and having the Father look down at him and say, that's enough punishment for everybody. Forever! So is everybody going to heaven? Uh, no. You have something in you called a will. Faith. Now, you won't come to Jesus unless the grace of God is working in you. I just tell you, you just won't do it. You won't repent unless the grace of God brings you to that place. But the grace of God is out there, he says, has been revealed in in, in Titus, he said, to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live holy and righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for. The Lord to come from heaven and change these vile bodies like unto his body. Put us back in his kind. But here's what happens when a person receives Christ. The kind of person they change. The kind changes. You All of a sudden you're born of a different kind. And when you hear somebody say, oh, you know, you must be born again. It's a really simple thing to understand. All he's really saying is you're in Adam. And no matter what you do, you cannot ever please God in Adam. You need to get out of Adam and get into the second Adam. We sang it here a while ago. The second Adam, the last Adam. There's not another one coming. How do you do that? You don't. If you feel the compulsion inside of you to come before Jesus and bow and say, Lord, I am such an awful, awful sinner. Please save me. God says, glad you said that. Oh, I'm done with sin. Well, we know we're not completely done with sin. We're still sinners. But we're done with it as a lifestyle. And, oh, Lord, make me a new person. And that particular point, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, the minute you trusted Jesus, he sealed you in his Son by the Holy Spirit. And you stay there. Jesus said, I hold my sheep in my hand. Nothing can pluck them from my hand. And even though you may think the Lord has left you or forgotten you or forsaken you, it ain't happening. He's still there. You may have no perception of him, (laughs) but he's there. And all you got to do is go back to his word again and pick up his promises and say, God made that promise, and he cannot lie. Amen? So, when that happens, we have to realize that after Jesus took that awful, awful judgment for us he gives us the amazing privilege of living a completely new life jim boy was talking about the kingdom of god this morning in his sunday school class and he says that's not someday when we get to heaven that's here and now the kingdom of god is this church when you come into this church you're in the kingdom of god now you may not be a part of the kingdom of god but when you come in here You are in the kingdom of God. And guess who's the king here? It ain't me. It's Jesus. 
He's a risen king. He came back from the dead. You say, that's hard to believe. I know. I know. It's really hard to believe that somebody could come back from the dead. I mean, I've seen some powerful things in my life. I've been to Niagara Falls, and I've watched all that water. The roar is just deafening of all that water going over Niagara Falls. Everybody ever been there? Yeah. Okay. And think about the power it produces to light up Buffalo and the surrounding cities. And yet it's not powerful enough to raise somebody from the dead. Somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, I, I don't believe in the resurrection. I believe I'm going to come back as a, a pig or something. <laughs> and I always ask them, How, what kind of power are you going to use to do that? Where would you get that power? It's not some kind of ethereal power floating around in the world that when I come, after I die, I come back as something else. You ain't coming back. You're going to, the Bible says it's appointed to men to die once, and after that, the judgment God is going to hold you personally accountable for your life. He has a right. He created you (laughs) to be something that you should be. Right? He created you originally in your image, and every one of you Christ died for. Every single one of you, Jesus went personally. He went to Charlie, and he said, I'm going to die for Charlie. He went to Paul, and he said, I'm going to die for Paul, because Paul really needs it. He went to... (laughs) He went to James and Amanda said, I'm going to die for them because they need it. And James really needs it. Really, really needs it. (laughs) Yes, ma'am? That's right. It's the power of the blood of Jesus that God is looking at all the time. You see, when Jesus shed his blood for you, God looked at that and said, that's enough punishment for everybody. Forever. Why would anybody turn that down? My wife isn't here, but I, I love it when she says, when she got saved, she said, you mean to tell me if I put all my trust in Jesus and nothing else, not my religion, nothing else, that I'll have eternal life and I'm sure to go to heaven? And the lady talked to her and said, yes. She said, I'd be a fool to turn that down. Wow. There's a lot of fools in the world that hear the gospel and turn it down. But you see, God isn't going to grab you by the neck and twist you so hard that you have to. Oh, he's involved in your salvation. He's involved in drawing you, believe me. You won't even come if he's not drawing you. But if you have a desire to come to him, that's God doing that. Because basically the bad tree just wants to go out and bear diseased fruit until you're made good. By Christ. Now, there's none of us really good inside, but when Christ comes into your life, something completely different happens to you, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the Bible starts to make sense. You want to be with God's people. You know, if that's not really happening to you, maybe you really never really did actually receive Christ. If you don't want to be with the people that love God, then there's something wrong. You want to go back and be with the people of the world that you can go out and do the things of the world with, there's something wrong. But if you want to be with the people of God, that's God doing that. Because you wouldn't care otherwise. You just wouldn't want to. Listen, before I was saved at age 29, and I I thought that I was a nice person. I thought I was a good person. I went to church, and I did all the religious stuff that I was told to do. And then one day... Somebody 
pulled me into a Bible study. I don't remember how that happened exactly. I think it was, it was yeah, it was, somebody did that. I'm not going to tell you who it is. It wasn't my wife. And I started reading Scripture, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. And everything I'd ever done started coming back to me that was against God. And I want to know, I want you to know, I've very rarely been scared in my life. I went to Vietnam with a blase attitude. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't scared. Should have been, (laughs) but I wasn't. But when I saw the fact that I was going to face God for my sins, I got scared, and rightly so. Because once you can dismiss everything I'm saying to you today, and you know what? I can't do anything about it. But if you don't come to the foot of the cross and see why God laid sin on Jesus for your sake, because he loves you even like you are. I had the hardest time struggling with understanding and accepting the Lord that he would accept me. How in the world can he accept me? I'm just filthy and dirty. How would he possibly want me? And then he showed me. I did this for you just as you are. I didn't ask you to change. We sing the song, Just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come to you. He did that for me. He did it for you. This is not something that's just for me. Paul said in 1 Timothy, he said, This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the king. (laughs) He proclaimed himself the chief sinner of the whole world. And if you look at his life before he was saved, he was going around dragging people out of their homes, killing them because they were Christians, throwing them in jail because they were Christians. And boy, the Lord got a hold of that man, and he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. Wow. See what God can do? He can do it for you, too. So if a person really is in Christ, there's going to be an actual bearing of fruit from a divine nature. It's possible for people to fake that. People can do amazing things sometimes, but they might be demonically contrived. So we have to then be sure we're listening to the teacher of the truth. Our convictions have to be based on the Bible in context. Don't take things out and throw them against the wall and say, that's my religion. Continuing with this, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Now, that's amazing because over in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's the difference here? The difference here is still talking about these false teachers and people who follow them. Rather, the one who does the will of my Father, he said, will enter. Now, this is such an important warning because mighty works, big-sounding works, are not proof of the Father's will. Rather, a deep seeking of God's will before you act. Before you act. Jesus said this to illustrate it. On that day, he says, people say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? They were great orators. They could convince you of just literally anything. They could have an auditorium with 20,000, 25,000 people and feed them a line of baloney. And they're all going, isn't he great? 
see it every day on TV. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did you know the name of Jesus is so powerful that even in the hand of a false prophet, it's powerful? Because the demons don't feel fear that false prophet, but they do fear Jesus. And he said, and many will say to me, did I do mighty works? But big showy works are not the real evidence of a regenerated heart. It could be just the evidence of a proud heart of look at me, look at me, look at me. His response to them is pretty sober, isn't it? Depart from me. Do you want to stand before the Lord Jesus someday and have him say, I never knew you, depart from me. That freaks me out. Every day I get up, I remind myself of what I am, nothing, what he is, everything, what he did, all. And say, Lord, thank you for, for coming to me. I am the least of your servants. And that's the only attitude I can take the rest of the day. Oh, I might get up here and rant and rave and preach and stuff. But believe me, when I was in my closet, God was dealing with me. I couldn't get up here and speak to you if he wasn't. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, these false teachers are actually acting outside the will of God. And therefore, they're lawless. We have these people every day that come and knock on our doors, right? Here, I want you to buy this watchtower. Or I want to show you something about Joseph Smith, who he was a great prophet. In other words, the Jehovah Witness and the Mormons are always naming people. You betcha. You know what? Those are false teachers. And here's what God has to say about your response to them. First John or Second John, verses 9 through 10. Listen to this, folks. Everyone who goes beyond what they should and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, which those two groups particularly don't, do not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house. When a JW comes to your door, don't say, well, come on in and sit down in my living room here and we'll talk about this. Don't do it. They don't belong in your living room. Neither does a Mormon. Oh, but they're such nice people. They do such good things. They're false teachers, and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. That is exactly, I heard a preacher yesterday I was listening to on the radio said, there's this lady in his congregation named Camille, and every year she'd get him a special gift as her pastor. One year she got him a stuffed animal, and he took it, and it was a little sheep. And you notice the face looked kind of loose. He pulled it off, and there was a wolf's head in there. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, Camille, what are you trying to say to me? She goes, just stay, stay on the right track and that won't be you. <laughs> Can you imagine? He says these people are lawless. And whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You see, if that person comes to your door and tries to convince you of something other than what you know to be true, and they're trying to lead you into that kind of false teaching, God says in his word, don't let them in your house. And don't say, well, be on your way and God bless. Don't even do that. He says, when you do that, you're participating in their evil works. 
Now, you don't have to be rude, but just say thank you very much for coming. But I am not, I am a born-again Christian. I've been transferred from Adam to Christ. And I don't buy all that stuff because I know the Lord. So, thank you. Goodbye. Okay. Now, verses 24 through 27, Jesus gives us an idea of what a true follower of Christ is. He says this. Around, by the way, around the Sea of Galilee, the sand in the summertime would get really hard. But a wise builder would know not to build on that sand. Some of you, who's ever been to the ocean and to the beach? Who's ever been to the ocean and the beach? You notice when you walk, you walk around the sand, especially down on Daytona, when you're walking along the beach, it's really, really hard. And they even drive cars up and down, Highway 1 there, they call it. But if you're standing there on that hard, hard sand and the surf happens to come in under your feet, what happens? It feels like you're being swept out, doesn't it? The sand just disappears. Well, see, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, whoever hears my words and acts on them. When you hear the gospel, you receive Christ. When he tells you to get baptized, you do it. When he tells you to go to your church that preaches the truth, do it. When he tells you to witness to your neighbor, do it. Sometimes your neighbor will shut the door on you. (laughs) But he says, be like a wise man. When you do the Word of God, when you do what God's Word says, you are like a man building a house who's dug down below the sand into the bedrock of the earth and built the house on that. And he says the winds come, the rains come, the flood comes, but that house will not fall. It's really interesting to me when people really do participate in seeking the Lord and following Him and hold the Word of God only in context. Things happen to those people just like it happens to everybody else, but they're different. They're completely different the way they react to it. They don't wring their hands and say, oh, no, God must hate me. They say, God is sovereign, and I'm going to stand in Jesus' name no matter if I have to lose my life in doing it. Is that what he's calling us to? Yeah. He said, but the guy that builds on sand, a foolish man. What's that sand represent? He said the rains and the flood, the wind come against the house, it falls. And not only that, it falls, and it had a great fall. And the greatness of that fall is it falls all the way to hell. And he's talking about your body. That's what he's talking about, your house. Challenge here is this. Living your life as a Christian upon the sure word of God will produce strength against the things that we all know are going to come our way. You know, bad things happen to good people. And there, unfortunately, happens to all humans. It happens to be the privilege of Christians to suffer. It's our privilege. Now, that sounds stupid, doesn't it, to the world? (laughs) But it's not. It's a privilege. The house, your house will stand because it's founded on the rock named Jesus. Listen to what James says. In James 1, 22 and 20 through 25, he says, Be doers of the word of God, not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone just a hearer of the word, not a doer, it's like a man that looks at his face in a mirror 
And when he goes away, forget who he is. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, what Christ has given us, this person, and perseveres, this person is not just a hearer, but a doer, and he will be blessed. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the end of Matthew. And it says, Jesus spoke with authority, and the crowds were astonished because he spoke with authority. But let me just tell you this. Being astonished at the teaching of God is not commitment. You can be astonished and forget the whole thing later on. Oh, wasn't that something? Wow, did you hear that guy speak? Wow, Jesus must be really neat. Are you going to follow him? Uh, well, no. <laughs> Being astonished does not mean you have been converted. It just means you're astonished. That's all. You're excited about something, like Jesus talked about the grain that falls on the, the rocky soil that comes up immediately and then fades away when the sun comes up. So you have to understand that to build your life on the Word of God, you start with receiving Christ. That's your first start. You come to Him humbly and say, You're right, Lord, I am nothing but a sinner. Please save me. And watch Him work. And then, when you've received him, the next thing he tells you to do is follow him. Well, where's the first place he went? After he came out of the wilderness, right into the baptism waters. Now, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He did it so that you and I would have an example. We are the ones putting off sin, not him. He had no sin. Are you making a profession or just a, a real commitment to Christ? Are you building on the rock or on the sand? Now, we're going to have a baptism service here right now. And seven people are going to testify by baptism that the grace of God in their life has changed them, made them a new thing. This is not a Baptist thing. It's not a denominational thing. It's a biblical thing. And that's why we do it, because he told us to.